Instacart shoppers know groceries. They know that you can't make guacamole with rock-hard avocados. They know how to quickly find those peanut butter pretzels you can never find. And they keep you in the know by giving you updates about your order along the way. Let Instacart shoppers help take shopping off your plate so you can get time and energy back for what really matters. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Instacart. Add life to cart. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Welcome back to Status Pending. Scott Fuller and Heather Wrights back with you for a sort of a Status Pending special. Heather, how are you? Good, good. How are you? I'm doing very well. Starting to feel like summertime. Yeah, here here too. It's uh, it's pretty toasty out. I thought it was going to rain and it's not, so that's exciting. Yeah, <laughs> that's, <laughs> it's about as exciting as your life is when you have the house to yourself. Yeah, well, you know, I get yeah. stuff done, though. There you go. Very productive. Well, that's yeah. good. Uh, yeah, today we're going to do something a little bit different. We'll get back to our case overview series next week. I'll have the case next week. But this week, uh, we've been threatening to talk about the revamped docu-series The Staircase on HBO, which is a dramatized rendition of, I haven't seen it yet, of uh, the crime, talking about the Michael Peterson murder of Kathleen Peterson, uh, of which he was convicted and then later somewhat exonerated. And that happened in 2013 in Durham, or in 2003, in Durham, North Carolina. And the original documentary, there was a French film crew that was along for most of this, that most people have seen, the Staircase documentary. Netflix re-released it in 2018 with some additional episodes. And now we have the HBO series in 2022. So we thought we would go for Patreon, go back and discuss The Staircase and the original series and then talk about the HBO rendition too. And then we sort of last minute, last night, decided we could do that now and release the first of those two parts in the main feed and then you Patreon supporters will receive our review or our comments about the HBO series, which I'll go ahead and watch this weekend. So we'll do that uh, for Patreon supporters and for this Everybody gets this episode, so that's what we're doing today. You and I talked about this a long time ago, a couple of years ago, probably when yeah. it came out on Netflix. I think literally within weeks of it coming out, I think you and I kind of both watched it independently, and then we were like, hey, we should talk about this. <laughs> so we both went back this week and watched the original, rewatched it. I don't know about you, but it's funny to me how some of my opinions I'm sticking to, and some have changed a little bit since our first review of it. Uh, same here, and I wasn't expecting that for myself. Yeah, but that's good. It's kind of fun to think about how the more cases we see and the different things that happen in life and the world, I guess, how our opinions change, but that's not a bad thing either. But they haven't changed entirely. So, settle in and get ready for Status Pending Does the Staircase, coming up next. Instacart shoppers know groceries. They know that you can't make guacamole with rock-hard avocados. They know how to quickly find those peanut butter pretzels you can never find. And they keep you in the know by giving you updates about your order along the way. Let Instacart shoppers help take shopping off your plate so you can get time and energy back for what really matters. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Instacart. Add life to cart. I suppose the first thing we should say is spoiler alert. So if you haven't watched it, yeah, pause it because we're going to go through the whole thing. But in this episode, we're going to talk about the original French documentary and the follow-up Netflix episodes, which I think is like 16 episodes. And then HBO right now is in the process of airing their docudrama, which is encompassing, I assume, of the events. Mm -hmm. But it kind of seems to me 
like they focus on the trial and then fishbowl out to the documentary being made too. I haven't made it that far in the HBO one. I think I started watching the first episode, fell asleep toward the end of it, woke up during like the third episode. So I have to start over. That's because you have autoplay on. You can't have autoplay on. (laughs) It's a problem. The HBO one is not what we're talking about here. David Rudolph, who is the lead attorney for Michael Peterson, has already made comments um, against the HBO rendition. And uh, so that we're saving for Patreon because I haven't seen any of that yet. But we've both seen The Staircase now at least a couple of times. I think the the thing we should start with is the owl theory. Let's kind of get it out of the way. (laughs) Okay. Because I was all about it. Explain the owl theory. Okay. So basically there was a theory that she had been attacked by an owl like outside in her yard and then she ran inside away from it and that's where it kind of attacked her. That's where these lacerations came from. I know in the documentary they like even played a a tape of a female voice screaming for help from inside the house and you couldn't hear it from outside so that was their whole theory that she was being attacked by the owl inside right there at that staircase area nothing (sighs) like nobody could come and help her right and then the owl escaped never to be prosecuted he doesn't have fingerprints so he's scot-free basically i i just just one of my favorite things in true crime and it's hard to tell the murder bird how many people believe it and how many people just like (laughs) You know, the theory, because it's fun, as no, yeah, things are. I think that's what it was. I think it took, like, the heaviness off of the case for a minute. Yeah, it's a good Because it was really, really, everybody was really involved in this when Netflix brought this documentary Just out. like I making it, a murder. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And everybody gets wrapped up in it. And I think it was just a way to kind of, like, whew, step back for a second. This is a serious case, but also this theory. I mean, people honestly believed it. Whoever, like, brought that theory forward believed it. I remember it was an expert in raptors from (laughs) Colorado, I think, from the University of Colorado. So he is a bird expert, but there is, you know, to a hammer, everything looks like a nail. It was an interesting theory. It was very creative, but it sounds like something that you come up with when you're a couple of joints in sitting around a campfire. You know, dude, what if it was a bird the whole time? I don't think that's what happened. I remember you entertaining this fairly seriously. So I really, you know, some people can't tell when I'm being sarcastic, and I think <laughs> I, I fooled you on that one. All right. I just loved the whole thing, the murder bird. Like, I just loved that concept. And, and you bringing somebody... it up to me, making my head explode. Yes. It's fun. <laughs> We're not going to discuss a whole lot of the background of the case like we normally do up front. We'll pr- probably get to it as it unfolds. So this whole thing, this whole episode assumes that you've seen the Netflix documentary. I think the murder bird thing doesn't happen because of the blood. Because for an owl to attack her in the stairwell uh, seems very unlikely to me. It, it would seem like she would be attacked outside. And even if she ran back inside where she was found at the bottom of the stairs, there'd be all kinds of blood, which there wasn't. The owl wouldn't have chased her inside. I Probably think. not. I had a bat in the house the other week and I had to get rid of it. Well, you just, okay, I'm sick of every time we have a case, you somehow segue into something that happened to you that week. I'm I have an interesting life you. now. No. I think just it's because like of the guy kids. in your attic. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I did have a bat in the house the other week. You should have seen me try to get it out. I'm sure that was hilarious looking. While Nicole was holed up in the bathroom, I was scared to death. But anyway, <laughs> um, so we are discounting the murder bird theory here on status yes. spending. All right. As a serious discussion, it still yeah. exists in the zeitgeist and it's a fun thing. And I think you hit the nail on the head there that it's just a, a fun diversion. Yeah. So with that out of the way, where do we where do we go? I mean, do we want to talk about his past relationship and how that was a murder or an accident quite the same? Sure. Or do you want to wait? <laughs> Michael Peterson had been married to somebody else in Germany mm-hmm. and a friend of his like a next door neighbor, I think, fell down a flight of stairs. And it's as you learn first thing in the uh, Netflix documentary, Kathleen Peterson, his wife in Durham, North Carolina in 2003, she is found dead at the bottom of the stairs. Sorry, dogs in the recording session as always. She's in the in their very large house in Durham at the bottom of the stairs. She's a ton of blood at the scene and she's found dead I guess the, on the 911 calls, Michael Peterson claims she is barely conscious on the first call. About 15 minutes later on the second call, she has stopped breathing and appears to be dead now. The fact that Michael Peterson had a next-door neighbor, a good female friend, who had died 
having been found at the bottom of the stairs, and then several years later his wife dies at the bottom of the stairs, is highly coincidental. And the prosecution would say maybe criminal. Okay, so obviously each side is trying to prove, you know, guilt versus innocence, that kind of thing. I don't know. I mean, there are coincidences and then there are patterns. I feel like we need to explore it more, but I don't exactly know how because I can see it being both ways. I can see it being a total accident, him having nothing to do with it when speaking about the first one. But then I can also see him having something to do with that and then realizing, okay, that was easy because she had some medical condition happen. Nobody's suspecting me at all. This is fine, whatever. And then tries that again later. I guess I, I needed to dig deeper on the first one because from what I understand, she did have, man, I forget what the medical terminology is for it. She had an aneurysm, I think. But yeah, well, yeah, I guess that would be it. Something with the, the fluid or whatever. They could tell that it was this certain thing. So yeah, it may have been an aneurysm, but I don't know how I feel about it. She had, the woman in Germany had lacerations on her skull as well. Yeah. Shortly before the trial, the prosecution in Durham dug up the body in Texas and did a, an examination, an autopsy on it. The body had been embalmed, so it was still in pretty good condition. It was the opinion of the medical examiner. She actually used the word homicide, homicidal. In, in that sense, they could possibly be linked. But the officials in Germany who did the initial investigation ruled it to be accidental. There were no criminal proceedings. The medical testing that was done at that time revealed a probable aneurysm because her spinal fluid was cloudy. She had the lacerations, but she had also fallen down some stairs, too. And the lacerations are not similar in the two cases. Right. That's exactly what I was just going to bring up, too. And then the fact that when they did speak with people in Germany who were there at the scene shortly after they were talking about how much blood that there was there in comparison to Kathleen's incident there wasn't a lot but what there was it was already dried mm -hmm. yeah she had been at the bottom of the stairs in for some time the woman yeah. in Germany that's also something that is brought up in Kathleen Peterson's death later on I tend to think that they're unrelated criminally regardless of whether Michael Peterson killed Kathleen I see that as a wholly different question. If you could prove that he killed Kathleen, then you could see a, a possible link there. But you still have to prove the two cases independently, and I don't think that's done. You think they're just grasping at straws at that point, trying to make that It's connection? worth investigating. It's, mm -hmm. it's definitely worth asking the question. That the body was exhumed so close to the trial is a bit of a tip maybe that the prosecution thinks its case is a little bit weak in the Kathleen Peterson murder. And there are other tips that they give too. So am I wrong though? And I, I thought that they said that a medical examiner or like a whoever it is who exhumed it basically said that the first lady Ratliff's injuries weren't consistent with a fall down the stairs. So am I wrong in that? No, you'd be right. Cause she concluded that it was a, a, a homicide or the injuries were, consistent with some kind of homicidal act and so they would be inconsistent with her falling down the stairs what do you feel about the well I guess I I'm jumping in but I don't know if you have like a certain order that you want to go in but what do you feel about murder weapon if if, if it if Kathleen's is a murder I don't think it was the blow poke this is probably a long answer to that question uh, maybe we should start with do you think he did it do you think he killed her or did she accidentally, a series of falls on the stairs, did she accidentally die? I guess the first thing we should say about scenario B is she did not fall down the stairs. Nobody says Correct. she fell down the stairs. There's no blood on the rest of the staircase. All of this accidental or otherwise occurs within a very confined space of that bottom of that stairwell, which is in some ways very helpful investigatively. So I... Oh, where are you at on, on that? If I remember correctly, the first round, I was kind of on the fence and I was more on his side as in, man, he's been sitting in jail for a long time for something he didn't do. This was probably an accident. I don't necessarily know how, blah, blah, blah. But I don't know. This watch through, I just felt more so like, yeah, he did it. I just don't know exactly how. 
and I get again I could be completely wrong but this is just my opinion just the way I was reading him it just felt like he was very he was able to manipulate he was able to hide things I don't know just his demeanor and some of those conversations that they were having when they were even just inside his house with David the his his lawyer and they were talking about certain things just the way he would react to certain things it just made me feel okay uh, I think he's trying to hide something I think he's trying to not get caught up in something um yeah this is his lawyer but he still doesn't even want to tell him the truth and just some of the comments that his lawyer was saying made me believe too that he wholeheartedly believed peterson had something to do with it but he was just trying to show that they couldn't prove it like but deep down he thought that he did too and i don't know by the end of it where he ended up where the lawyer ended up on that but that's irrelevant and I think what I said in 2018 is probably he did it, probably should have been acquitted in the original trial, which drives people nuts because mm-hmm. they, understandably, they want you know the truth of did he do it or not to correspond with the law, and that that's not the case. That's not how it works. I think I now where I'm at now is I think he probably could have been acquitted. I think that's a very weak case for a premeditated murder. It I'm takes gonna, like 30 seconds to premeditate, though. So Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that's a good point. That's a legal distinction. Preponderance, 50%, 51%. I think he probably did it. And I think, actually, this case gets wrapped up in, the, in that stairwell where she died. But I think yeah. some of the most indicting common sense stuff against him happens in the rest of the house. The 911 calls weren't consecutive. There was one initial one where she's still breathing. He hangs up and calls back 15 minutes later asking where they are, and now she has stopped breathing mm-hmm. on the 911 call. And yet when the paramedics soon after arrive, they notice that the blood is dry. Right. Indicating she may have been at the bottom of the stairs for several hours. That is possible, but that's not possible if she is still breathing when he first encounters her. So his story is he was outside he fell asleep outside for an indeterminate number, who knows how long, came back inside and found his wife there, called the police, hung up. You know, 15 minutes later, he calls back, which already for me is strange. If you're not going to stay on the line, mm-hmm. you call right back, I would think. That's just my assumption. And then she is now dead, but every indication when the police and the medics get there is that she's been dead for a long time. And the fact that one of the kids is already in the house before the police get there, Mm -hmm. has already arrived. There's some other stuff. So what I did is this documentary is, I think it's a great documentary in terms of entertainment. I feel like you say that about every documentary, though. It is not fair and balanced. This is a biased documentary. It's great in terms of access, like to the Mm -hmm. defense team as they're strategizing. I love that stuff. Mm-hmm. but it is not here's one side here's the other it's not that at all so I think, it's a lot like making a murder yes very very similar and maybe that's the way you have to tell a story to make it a compelling story because you have to have a perspective otherwise you're yeah. just watching an entertaining trial which would be entertaining for me me too but I but get what you're saying. you know you get sucked into rooting for somebody that's like the first thing is you need a hero and you need a villain mm-hmm. and they took the convicted guy and tried to make him the hero um, David Rudolph, who I think is an excellent lawyer, but he just said about this new HBO thing that they're claiming the documentary was biased and it wasn't biased. The documentary is absolutely biased. It's entire. It's by definition biased. It's from 100%. one perspective. Yeah. They interview some of the prosecutors and the police, but what I did today in our, my limited time, I thought, well, if this documentary is that perspective, I'll go watch the trial and specifically the prosecution's case in chief. And I couldn't watch the whole thing. It's you know, it's three months long. I watched testimony from some of their key witnesses, some of the witnesses you never hear about in the documentary, and picked out some things here and there. I still think it was a weak case for a first-degree murder case, but there's definitely stuff that's not in the documentary that doesn't make the whole situation with Michael Peterson look good. Please share. I did not watch the trial. I would actually encourage everyone to do that. It's still on Court TV's website, the whole thing. All the motions, all the witnesses. I don't know how you would sit through the whole thing, but it's a really interesting trial. Well, some of the things like the 911 call is not in the documentary. They air the 911 call 
under the premise of does it sound like he's faking? What they don't say is the timing of the whole thing, like the 15 minutes in between. The fact that one of his kids is somehow already at the house that he doesn't live at before the police arrive, right. before anybody else arrives. Prosecution pointed out that Michael Peterson avoids answering questions in the call. When he's asked questions, he either responds kind of like he is surprised by the question or he doesn't respond at all and just makes inaudible noises, which is not helping them get to help your wife. Right. Not in the documentary, a fireman, Jason Crank, noticed dry blood on the front door of the house right above the door handle. And it's a fairly significant amount. Um, defense pointed out that that was not noted in his initial report, but you can clearly see the blood smear in photographs of the front door of the house. Nowhere in the documentary is Michael Peterson doing anything other than reacting like a normal husband would. 911 call aside, whatever you think about that, whether it's faked or not, they don't talk about timing. They don't talk about blood anywhere else except for the staircase, but there's blood on the front door of the house, on the outside of the door. There are two blood drops. There are about a, probably a quarter size blood drops on the porch, on the patio. How did those get there? Uh, motive seems to be elusive in the documentary. Like they, they say over and over, there is no motive for this. But a state forensic accountant determined that Michael Peterson received, stood to receive, a net benefit of $1.5 million upon mm. Kathleen's death. The defense said, well, he already, he had assets, and even without any of that money, the couple had enough assets to liquidate so they could sell the house and Mike could have some money. They never disproved the financial motive. It's a $1.5 million net gain to Michael Peterson when his wife dies. Stock options, um, insurance, stuff like that. Not in the documentary. And again, I just skimmed the case in chief, so I'm missing, I'm sure, big stuff. But this is a big one. So when the police got there, they assigned different officers to different people at the scene. Also not clear in the documentary is there's tons of people there. There's like friends and family members that keep now arriving as they keep getting called to the scene by either Mike or Todd or who knows who else. The documentary really makes it seem like Mike is alone in the house this entire time. Yeah. He was not. He may have been at the time of the death one way or the other, but very shortly after that, he's being joined by like the rest of his family. One of the officers then is assigned to Michael Peterson and Todd Peterson, and they were confined to the study while everything was going on elsewhere. Michael Peterson was allowed to make a phone call. So one of the things we learn is this was not a pristine police investigation from the scene from the start. Uh, Michael Peterson also in the study was allowed to change clothes. So he took his bloody clothes off and put them like on a window and a police officer was told, don't let the dog get to those clothes. So that gives you an idea of, you know, it's, it's fine that he changes clothes, but only after you fully processed him. Right. However, Todd also changes clothes for reasons. I don't, I don't know why, but he was allowed to change clothes as well. For what it's worth, the DNA testing that was done, this is in 2003, the DNA testing that was done of items in the room and around Kathleen's body in the staircase, the only people they were compared to were Michael and Kathleen. They didn't DNA test anybody else. So if anybody else was in the house that night and might have had some like incriminating evidence in some place it shouldn't be in the form of DNA, that was not tested against from what I could tell. But from the DNA, which again is not brought up in the uh, documentary, Kathleen's DNA was found on Michael Peterson's shorts, his left shoe, those are brought up, the stairway wall, obviously, and the couch near the kitchen. So her DNA was found in those areas. And I think we're talking about blood in all of these instances. Because otherwise, I don't know why you'd take a piece of the couch to test DNA unless you have reason to think it's important, and that has to be some kind of stain, I would think. So I'm going to go ahead and say Kathleen's blood ended up on the couch near the kitchen. Which, uh, devil's advocate, if, you know, Michael and Todd were, like, uh, holding her or trying to revive her or whatever, they got blood on them, transferred it to the couch, fine. Yeah. You know, for as bloody as Michael's clothes were, there is blood elsewhere, but there's very little. And mm -hmm. it's weird the places that it is. It's on the outside of the, outs the front door. It's on the patio, it's on the couch, and it's on a, a cupboard in the kitchen where the wine glasses are held. But that stain in the kitchen 
was unable to be determined, unable to be matched. They found a hair, a complete hair, so including the root, inside the stairway. It was found on the second step of the staircase. No DNA profile could be matched from that, but obviously it belongs to somebody. There's a human hair, and I'm sure you can determine it's not Kathleen just by the length. So that may very well have been Michael Peterson's hair. Then again, they couldn't prove it. Uh, Forensic analysis determined somebody had traveled after the death from that area of the death, the staircase, into the den, then to the kitchen, and then into the laundry room. Hmm, Cleaning up. Maybe. I mean, from the den, which I think is on the way to the kitchen, so that's not strange because the phone's in the kitchen, or at least that's where it was found when police got there. The end of the laundry room is kind of weird after that. That's the, the part that stands out. I have a couple questions, though. Something that's always bothered me with this is, like, I don't think she fell down the stairs, obviously, but something that bothers me is the way she was found laying there. Because if I remember, she was laying there with, like, her spine and her neck just kind of aligned the right way. So if they're really trying to pull off this, she fell down the stairs, wouldn't there be something wrong or wouldn't she be laying a certain way if that were the case you mean if if it was a staging no like if if she had actually fallen like wouldn't like her spine and her neck wouldn't still be aligned laying there so yeah it it would feel they might be they could be they could be what what i saw from the scene were two things there's all kinds of stuff under her first of all there's like towels and stuff under her And the other thing I saw is all of the blood on the landing is too far away from where she ends up. This is where I guess we can get into different theories. Um, The defense theory was never that she fell down the stairs. The defense theory was that she fell up the stairs, basically. That as she was rounding what's a very narrow staircase, going from the the light to the dark with a blood alcohol of a legal limit but still .07, Um, she tripped, slipped on like the third step, fell backward and hit her head on the, uh, I'm I'm not sure what it's called. The trim, um, against the wall, like the chair rail thing, like it is. No, not the chair rail. The chair rails up past the landing against the wall. She fell and hit her head according to the defense theory on the, um, the The corner of the wall, the corner of the wall that goes vertical into the entrance of the stair, the staircase. So she hit her head on that, slumped over, probably lost consciousness, and then got back up and slipped and fell again. Right. It slipped in her own blood, basically. What's interesting... Go ahead. 0.07 isn't... Like, you can still... The legal driving limit is 0.08, so for her to be... I still don't feel like that's drunk enough to... Well, I mean, it could be. I mean, she did have Valium in her system, too, from what I understand, but still, I, I... I don't know. The stair, stairs are the most dangerous part of your house, statistically. Whether you're drunk or sober, that's where most of your accidents happen. I mean, right. I trip up mine all the time, and I don't drink that often. Yeah, if you think about it, stairs are actually kind of scary. And this staircase was silly. You know, it was very narrow at the corner as it rounded. And then they were narrow stairs. And just, so she could have fallen backwards, hit her head, slipped, gotten back up, um, hit her head again. But didn't she have seven lacerations? She had seven lacerations, but that doesn't necessarily equate to impacts. To kind of think about that, I went to Werner Spitz, who's one of the defense experts. I think it's in like the first episode where he talks about this. He says a minimum of three head injuries with a round, flat object. That's the number I went with because he's a defense expert, so it's in his best interest, it's in the best interest of the defense to find the lowest number possible to make all this make sense. So he says three. Deaver, who we'll talk about, I'm sure, he says four. So they're not far off. Like the disgraced state expert, blood expert, and also a very respected defense expert says at least three the prosecution is saying four. So we need a way where Kathleen hits her head on the staircase three times and pretty hard and all of it occurring at the bottom of the stairs. And the way, I mean, this is theoretically possible. The way, this is why blood spatter was so important with um, Dwayne Deaver's testimony because there is a series of events where you could fall twice, hit your head three times, and there you go. If it's any more than three, the defense is going to have a hard time 
saying this was anything other than an attack. Obviously, the more impacts there are, the worse it is for the defense. But it could be as low as three. So you have three possible impacts from two falls causing seven lacerations, is the defense theory. So you hit your head on the back, which would cause at least one laceration. And then when you lose consciousness for a period of time, they had to throw that in there because of so much blood. She's bleeding for a period of time. Mm -hmm. And they need her to be bleeding for a period of time for her to then slip when she gets back up and fall again. And on the second fall, she, somewhere in the stairwell, double impacts her head at pretty much the same consistency because all the lacerations are pretty equal. So she hits her head somehow twice, on a corner, on a wall, on the floor, on a stair, somehow twice, basically at the same time on the second fall, and bleeds to death, essentially, from there. Okay, so I have so many questions about that then. Because if that's the case, wouldn't they have found, like, pieces of her skin or something, hair mixed with blood, all that, like, in these areas where she would have hit her head, first of all? And secondly... Michael said something about not knowing how long he had fallen asleep outside and then woke up to that scene by the 911 calls and by knowing when your wife went in the house, couldn't you narrow that down? And then they even said that she had been dead for a period of time. But yet, like you said, between the two calls and 15 minute time frame, she was alive at one point, but dead the next. According to him, according to what he thought. So maybe he was wrong. Maybe she'd was breathing or wasn't breathing on the first call, and he thought she was. Mm. Um, maybe he killed her three hours before that. Yeah. I, I just think, I think that's possible, the accidental scenario. I just find that so unlikely. I, I don't think that's very likely. But that's why the blood spatter was so important, because it is theoretically possible, and you need more than that to convict him. And so Deaver gets up there and says... Here is where her head in, was impacted, and it wasn't against the wall when it was impacted, which is super important mm-hmm. because then she has a laceration occurring from something other than any other structure, which is by definition either an owl or <laughs> some, some murder weapon. You want to talk about Deaver? Sure. Dwayne Deaver turns out to be a disgraced lab tech for the SBI, mm-hmm. the state investigative agency. He was involved in a couple of atrocious cases, some would argue this is one of them, where innocent people were convicted of crimes they didn't commit, which are, of course, pointed out in the documentary. His experiments were unscientific, which is a fact. Mm -hmm. He would form his experiments for an outcome as opposed to a theory and just see what happens. All that's that's true. Mm -hmm. He should not have had that job. He should not have been overseeing any cases. And his involvement in this case is enough and was enough to uh, get a new trial, possibly for Michael Peterson. He eventually settled or took a plea. I'm going to say this controversial thing about Dwayne Deaver. Just because his methods were wrong doesn't mean his conclusions were. So he is producing the outcomes he wants through flawed experiments, but that does not mean that what he identifies as blood spatter is not blood spatter. In fact, we actually know it's blood spatter. Dr. Henry Lee talked about maybe it's from coughing, you know, some of the spatter that you see on the bottom of the wall. There's also a lot of spatter not talked about in the documentary on the uh, the bottom of the third stair, not the stair top, but where it goes vert- vertically down at like a 90-degree angle. There's a lot of splatter or spatter on that third step, too. So on like the riser part of it? Yeah, where you, you have the landing and then you have the step that goes up the stairs from that. On like, a, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess it's called a riser. Yep. The thing you stub your toe on if you're trying to go up the stairs. There's a lot of spatter on that that's not talked about in the documentary. What Dwayne Deaver's experiments did was negate all of that evidence, which was a very important part of the prosecution's case. Probably the most important part when it comes to first-degree murder. And so that gets tossed out. But some of his conclusions may have been wrong. Some of those might have been right. Some of the spatter he might have uh, identified as impact spatter from an instrument could have been. He just couldn't prove it and went about proving it the wrong way. Does that make sense? He could have been right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess that makes sense, but... Maybe I should say it like this. If Michael Peterson killed Kathleen, Agent Deaver is by and large correct. 
in his conclusions. He went about proving it in a totally unethical way. He didn't know how to prove it. It looks like he was totally inept, totally incompetent. But that doesn't mean his conclusions were wrong. No, I mean, it, it makes sense to me. He, he arrived at the correct conclusions if that's what happened, but the way he In a very immoral was, way. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But what people have done with Deaver in the documentary is they have made him innocent because of Deaver's disqualification. And that's not so. That's not true. He is not necessarily innocent just because Deaver was incompetent and corrupt and everything horrible about law enforcement. His methods were flawed, but that doesn't make Michael Peterson innocent. So, okay, so let's let's take a step back. Let, let's pretend like you think Michael did it, 100%. What would his motive be? Would it actually have anything to do with that money? Would it have anything to do with his bisexuality? What what would actually be the reason? Motive is not super strong in this case. The money is is one thing. That could be like a secondary motive, but like every of our cases, why there, why then? Mm-hmm. And the events that lead up to her death, if it's a homicide, are her on her computer. The uh, prosecution motive then is she discovered this material of Michael Peterson's secret life, and he attacked her following who knows how long of a conversation. Who knows Mm -hmm. if they were arguing or fighting. There are people who have said that Michael Peterson was a perfect husband when it comes to dispositions, never would lay a hand on anybody, let alone Kathleen. There are people that said he had a very short temper. Yeah, like her own daughter who wrote about it in her diary Mm -hmm. while they were married and talked about how he would rage out basically. But yet the other kids never said that. And Dr. No, it wasn't Dr. Lee. It was the P.I., who was a cop for like 10, 12 years, the defense PI, said that he doesn't see a crime of rage in the scene. And I don't know how that's true. I don't know how it can't necessarily be a crime of rage, especially if she were ambushed in that enclosed area and she didn't have a chance to fight back. She didn't have the room, limited capacity to fight back. So to my mind, if it's a murder, that scene in a confined space is exactly what a rage killing would look Mm -hmm. like. There are some inconsistencies pointed out, like there's no cast off where there should be cast off, like on the ceiling. If he did it, the best guess that anyone's come up with is not money necessarily, but that she found why there, why then, is she found something out about him on the computer because that's where she was. That's where she was on the computer before she died. That was the last thing she did before she died. Right, getting ready for like, a conference call or something I thought yeah my best guess for a homicide is she is working she finds this material on the computer she goes back outside where Peterson actually was I think that part of his story is true in this scenario and confronts him and yells at him and he attacks her from behind when she reaches the stair well because mm-hmm. the entire thing happened right there whatever it was so he ambushed her initially probably hesitated for a variety of reasons Thought she might be dead because she was unconscious, bleeding profusely. And then somehow, some way attacked her a second. And the prosecution would say like a third and a fourth time. And that caused her death. You know, the so maybe op- they panicked for a while, started to clean and then realized, shit, we have to actually do something about this. Yeah. And one thing, I think Michael Peterson's very guarded and very, he's always on stage, it seems to me, in the documentary. Mm-hmm. But one thing he told people that came out through the other people that were interviewed, like his daughters and things like that. They all say that he, he told them she fell down the stairs. Like Caitlin, who's the one who eventually thinks he did it. She says, when I heard she fell down the stairs, that's what I assumed for a long time until she changed her mind, but she did not fall down the stairs. Now it's possible that Michael Peterson didn't know because he's innocent of this that she did not fall down the stairs because he encounters a scene where it, for the, all the world, you're not forensically analyzing the scene, appears that she has fallen down to the bottom of the stairs. Or, in a situation where he did it, the story, because of where the attack happened to happen, was that she fell down the stairs. So that's what he told everybody. It's like every time I look at this case, I don't know. Dr. Henry Lee, another defense expert who's in the documentary, mm-hmm. says... Yeah, the molding in the corner is where he found a contact spatter. And I think actually 
if it is an accident, I think he's pretty much right about that first impact to her head where she fell from like the second or third step backward. That's where he found contact, blood spatter. He also has, and this is kind of interesting, glossed over in the documentary, but it's in there. Remember her bloody pants that are so bloody and he's looking at them? Mm -hmm. He has blood spatter on her pants radiating from the center of her left thigh. So that means a large amount of blood impacted her left thigh above her knees, which if you're falling backwards is difficult to do. Mm -hmm. I think it's even difficult to do if you're falling frontwards. But that's the defense expert and a good one too. So the blood on Kathleen's very bloody pants is deposited on the pants at different times. So again, more than one fall or more than one attack. I think that's what gets people about this case is all the evidence can be spun either in either scenario, either way. Yeah, except for the fact that like one of the reasons I don't believe she fell down those stairs is because her, if I remember correctly, her skull wasn't fractured. She didn't have brain swelling. No, she wasn't. Yeah. No bruising on the brain. Like that stuff happens if you fall downstairs or, you know, the concrete but that's really why, from falling. That's why they needed a theory for a fall. The defense needed a theory where you get the lacerations, so it's a severe, severe enough to cause those, but not severe enough to cause the skull fracture or the brain damage. So that's why it's a fall from like three feet, you know, her falling backwards. And if there is a weapon, they did talk about not having cast off, but you can just wipe it off, right? Before mm-hmm. you hit the person again? Well, yeah, but I mean, that's not going to happen. You never know. No. I mean, not... if you're planning out something like that? No, no, no. Like the defense made a, like, I think it was Deaver on the stand who said cast off would not occur if you wiped off the weapon beforehand. But if if this was Michael Peterson doing this, which it almost has to be, or an owl, if it's a homicide, then it's a rage thing. You know, it's a spur-of-the-moment thing. It's probably not planned out. And you're going to wipe it off every single time. Plus, they found the blowpoke, you know, and it had no blood or anything else on it. Yeah, but it could have been something else. Could have been something else. It was something else. It was on the blowpoke. And that's where the prosecution really screwed up. They said from their opening statement on that the weapon was identical to a weapon used, I'm reading the quote I wrote down. This blowpoke, the uh, DA is holding up in front of the jury in his opening statement. This blowpoke is identical to a weapon used as part of the mechanism to cause the injuries that killed Kathleen. So they are basically saying it is a blowpoke because this here that I'm holding, something identical to this is what the murder weapon was. So they married themselves to the blowpoke blowpoke being the murder weapon because they wanted the jury to have it. They wanted to give them a murder weapon. They didn't feel strongly about this case, and there's like indicators there, and that's one of them. You don't have to have a murder weapon necessarily, but you really, really want one if you're the prosecution to help explain the story, especially if it's not a gun or a knife or easily explained. So they felt like they had to have a murder weapon. They found this picture of a blowpoke that, that they didn't see in the house when they searched it. So that is probably the murder weapon, and that's the biggest mistake that the prosecution made in the case, was to tell the jury this is the murder weapon. And that set up the defense to mysteriously find the blowpoke in like the last week of the case. Right. Maybe the son found the blowpoke like three days before the end of the trial. I don't know. But either way, the uh, prosecution didn't know it wasn't going to turn up, which was a big mistake. So I think if Michael Peterson did this, I want to say the initial attack probably would have been with a weapon, but not necessarily. I don't think a weapon is necessary in the follow-up attack either. Weaponless scenario could be she's walking away having just had a big argument with Michael Peterson who flies into a rage. He ambushes her from behind, hits her head against the molding on the staircase, and then she falls into the staircase causing some of that first blood. Maybe there's a follow-up weapon, or maybe he just takes her by the head and causes the additional lacerations because they're to the back of her head. They're not to the top. They're to the back. pushing her head back. Grabbing her hair by the top or grabbing her hair kind of by the forehead area and hitting it two more times at least. That would be the weaponless homicide scenario. It's strange to me in a fall that all the weapons or all the... uh, (laughs) that all the lacerations are to the back of her head. 
Mm-hmm. The first one I get, she's falling backwards. That makes sense to me. But then when she gets back up, she doesn't fall to the side. She doesn't fall to the front. She falls again to the back. I think that's the most suspicious part of the lacerations to me is they're not accidental. They're all in the same place on the head. Right. And like everybody's different. And if you are dizzy or whatever, trying to get back up, I guess this might not come into play. But if you're trying to get up and you're trying to come to and you're sitting on a landing next to, you know, some stairs or on a staircase, when you just reach out and grab the railing or something to try to brace yourself, pull yourself up, something like why would she keep falling backwards over and over? So she fell at least twice, but she might have fallen even three or four times in an accidental scenario. But crawl away, crawl yeah. up, crawl out into the kitchen area mm-hmm. of scenario. Even with that that son, Todd, you don't think he was involved at all or didn't, didn't no, see No, there's no evidence he is. And he changed clothes, which is a little bit strange because he's not involved in the, the blood, as much of the blood, you know. But maybe he had some on him. So, no. And if or they, maybe he was coming from a party or something and he was already... Yeah. There are innocent reasons to change clothes. Mm-hmm. But like the, the officer who was in the den with the two of them said Michael Peterson was checking his email on his computer while the... What? Yeah, while the cops are out there doing whatever. I don't remember that. It's not in the documentary. It's in the trial. Oh, okay. I was like, what the... Yeah, no. That's anything... That's wild. Anything pro... Peterson is going to be in the documentary and, and anything else is not. I need to watch the trial. This is it's, Yeah, it's good. And if a primer is like the forensic files episode on this, mm. which is a totally different, it's eye opening compared to only 20 minutes or whatever, but compared to the documentary, you see the bullet points of what is left out of the documentary. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So I think the prosecutors really believed he did it. I think they knew their case was kind of weak, but they believed he did it. And then when he gets the relief motion passed because of Deaver, they didn't have to try him again. They also didn't have to fight that motion, but they did. And they didn't have to try him again, but they almost did. I mean, they probably would have taken it to trial again. The cynical defense explanation for that is, well, if they bring it to trial and they lose, it's not their fault. The jury found him not guilty. Remember what that DA office was was all about back then? Like in that documentary is Mike Nifong. Do you know who he is? Uh, wasn't he like a bad guy in the end? He's a very bad dude. Yeah. Very bad prosecutor. He yes, was. that's right, the prosecutor. He's the guy that, um, he's not the prosecutor at, at the Peterson case. He's like an assistant, but he later becomes prosecutor, DA. Right. And he put forward a, what he knew was a fake case against the Duke lacrosse yes. players. Yes, yes. Okay, yep. And he covered it up. He's one of very, very few prosecutors. You never see them prosecuted themselves. But he got like uh, a day in jail for all that, which is a huge deal for a prosecutor. They're just not charged with anything. So he's about as bad as they get. Then you have, so the, the only proven like good happy ending from that prosecution team from the office was the DA at the time. What was his name? Harden. He yep. becomes a judge mm-hmm. later. But everybody else, Nifong is arrested. That prosecutor Black is her name, I think. She is um, fired, I think, for drinking. And she later died of alcoholism. Oh, Jesus. But watching the trial, you know, she's a very unlikable person in the documentary. Mm -hmm. She's not super likable in the trial, but she's a much better lawyer than the documentary makes it seem. She wasn't as bad. And Harden was pretty good. They just didn't have a really rock-solid case. So he probably should have been acquitted. Um, Definitely without the Deaver evidence being proper. But that doesn't mean that he didn't do it. How long did he end up spending in jail? Was it like nine years, ten years, something like that? Yeah, he was, if you count when he he was arrested, he spent ten years, I think. So that's something, too. If he's guilty, 
Mm-hmm. There's some kind of justice there. Yeah, but if he's innocent, then... That's 10 years of a yeah. terrible failure of the justice system. Yeah, because, I mean, he did, his kids ended up having kids. He has grandkids that had to see him through glass and everything. See, I have a heart. I just don't know if he's guilty or not. And it's Mm -hmm. sad if he's not guilty and he lost his wife and had to go through this and has to see his grandchildren and his children through glass. Like, that's horrible. Yeah. But if he's guilty, then, my God, he should still be in there. I just, it frustrates me because I don't know the answers. No, we just don't know. And we're never going to know. Unless he writes a book about it. I don't think he ever would. I think his ego is too big. I think he's one of those guys that by this point, he has convinced himself he didn't do it if he did. Mm. You'd be amazed how people who are convicted of like slam dunk murders can compartmentalize things and go on and function with the rest of their life. Some of them after they get out of prison or whatever happens. Yeah, I feel like I've flipped completely almost. Like I was, I was more along the lines of, no, it's probably an accident. I just don't know how. And now I'm like, yeah, he did it. I just don't know how exactly. It's one of those cases like um, cold cases like John Bonet, for example, mm-hmm. where every little piece can be explained alternatively. Yeah. And nothing is explained entirely by one theory. Even the craziest theories, even the owl theory doesn't explain everything. The awards that he apparently got, like the medals that he got, mm-hmm. like the, the Purple Hearts, different things like that, that he didn't even have documentation for. Yeah. He like lied that, about being wounded. That it's stolen like, goes through me like a knife. Like, I, I hate that. These people are like fighting for our country, for, fighting for our freedom, losing their lives, seeing the unimaginable. And stealing valor is just one of the worst things you can do. It's a crime, too. You can be charged. No, for well, I know it is. I know it is. <laughs> it's just disgusting. So I didn't, like, in watching it for this episode, I didn't try to figure him out at all because I think he's kind of an enigma. I look at him and I see a Hollywood actor on stage, on screen. Mm. Can't figure it out. There's no point. People try to, like, oh, he's guilty there. Oh, he's a nice guy there. I think think he's a nice guy and an evil guy in some ways, especially if he killed his wife. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't get the nice guy vibe at all. Not even the first watch through. I got the I'm uncomfortable vibe with him. Even through Mm -hmm. my first watch of it, even when I thought that it could have been an accident, I still got a creepy vibe. He's one of those people where everything you feel about him is true to some extent. Mm -hmm. Because I think he's got a lot of that going on. I think he's a narcissist, clearly. Um, I think he's got compassion through his actions. Like taking the kids in for 16 years, didn't have to do that. He's got compassion enough to make a couple of women happy in uh, marriage, even though he's bisexual. Um, His ex-wife is there with him the entire time. And how many people can say that? You know, once you've been charged with murder, your ex-wife is one of your biggest offenders. Doesn't happen very often. Right. I think he's got a lot going on. It's some good, some bad. And a big part of that would be, did he kill his wife? Obviously. But his kids, you can't just discount the kids who defend him as uh, being brainwashed or hiding, you know, following their dad no matter what. Yeah, brainwash isn't the right word, but um, brain, it's brainwash like implies he's trying to convince them he didn't do this. And mm-hmm. I think he told them a couple of times, but they convinced themselves at the end of the day he didn't yeah. do it. He's got a lot of defenders and a lot of people who swear he had a temper and could have done this. And I did get the sense, for example, Kathleen's sister... She seemed to turn when she saw a motive in his bisexuality, you know, seeking out escorts, um, because she's cross-examined on the witness stand, saying very nice things initially after Kathleen's death about him, and then she changed her mind entirely. And she Mm -hmm. said on the stand it was basically, you know, I didn't know about the secret life. Yeah. And what secret life is there with the exception of that? Right, but looking at it from her perspective, if all she ever sees is the, hey, we're at the holidays, we see you guys happy, beautiful couple, blah, 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 and she never hears anything from her sister to say otherwise, and then that comes out, of course she's going to feel like, okay, I didn't actually know him. It just, yes, didn't actually know him, but she went further than that, it seemed to me, that she's convinced he killed her because of those secrets. If Kathleen knew, there's no reason to kill her for it. If she found out, you know, that's the prosecution's whole motive. So is I mean, there... she may have known that he was bisexual, but maybe she didn't know 
about his little adventures that he was emailing people about. Yeah. Because you can be bisexual and still be in a marriage and just yeah. not act on it. I think she didn't know if I had to say one way or the other. And the reason I say that is because after she is dead, he has the opportunity to make anything up about, yeah, I told her. She knew. He didn't yeah. do that. He said in a really strange, weird way, yeah, she knew. Like, she would say certain comments. She would say certain things, but we never talked about it. But, yeah, she would say, oh, those guys at the Army base patting themselves on the rear, that they're just like you. So in, in his, he's trying to say, yeah, she knew. We just never talked about it. Mm-hmm. He could have very easily said, we had a couple of big conversations about it over the years, and um, we didn't talk about it very much, but she absolutely knew. And nobody could disprove that. So that's why I think she probably didn't know. So maybe she had a suspicion and then when she like confirmed it, she, I mean, that could definitely start an argument. Her sister for, for whatever it's worth, you know, adult siblings sometimes are close, sometimes not Mm -hmm. a lot of times, not that close where I think my husband's gay. Some are, (laughs) some aren't, but Kathleen's sister eventually said, had she known that she would have been furious. That's just one account. I feel like that would make sense because, like you said, he has the chance now to be with a man if he wanted to, and he's not. I don't think he was embarrassed on a personal level by his sexuality, especially Mm -hmm. later in life. But he definitely didn't want the public to know about it. He's a public figure. He's not going to run for uh, mayor of Durham, North Carolina, as a gay guy and have any expectation of winning in the early 2000s. I don't think he wanted it to be public, and I think just a few people knew about that. And then as part of it, too, is I think he liked the surreptitious secret life. I mean, I'd be interested to hear what other people think theory-wise, because obviously there's probably only a few that are really discussed, so I'd be interested to see if we're missing a piece of the puzzle that would make so much more sense with a different theory. Mm-hmm. It's crazy how ambiguous this case is when there's only really two possible options. Yeah. Well, three, but we're going to let him go. But an uh, an intruder is never brought up. I know. And this was late at night, too, from what I understand, because wasn't the 911 call like, I don't know. I could be just making this up, but I thought it was somewhere around 2 a.m., but I could be wrong. I think that's right. I I can't remember when he says she left or when he fell asleep or. And that, yeah, that was my whole thing. Like, if you know what time you called 911, you should know how long you were outside when you fell asleep. <laughs> yeah, right. So just the very basic stuff outside of the stairwell. Mm-hmm. Forget the blood, forget the experts. Common sense stuff of the time and of just basic intuition stuff. It, it kind of seems like he did it. Mm-hmm. How he behaves outside of the stairwell. Yeah. Hopefully this episode wasn't too rambling. And is interesting to people. I assume that if you listen to this podcast, you watch true crime documentaries, and this is one that everybody has in common. I think it's great, though. I love the defense access. I can't believe the access they got. Like, he is convicted and going to jail, and they let the cameras just continue to film as he's being transported to jail. It's like, come on in, guys. Yeah. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, thoughts and theories about the staircase or the Michael Peterson I should say a Kathleen Peterson case. Um, mm-hmm. Status pending podcast at gmail.com. Let us have it. And Tell we'll, us where we were wrong because it's probably a lot of places. Probably but. a lot of places. Tell us why you like the owl theory. Are there any other theories floating around online about this? Seriously, I've never seen any. So status pending podcast at gmail. We will talk to you again next week. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 
plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.